Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Justice Revolution. Uh, this is episode, I think, 14, right? Episode 14? 13. I don't know. I'm not kidding. <laughs> uh, we'll figure that out later. <clears throat> episode 13 or 14, one of those two. It's uh, Friday, February the 17th in the year of our Lord, 2023. I am your host, James the Patriot. I have with me my co-hosts, Erica and Justice. Say hello, you guys. Hey, guys. Good afternoon. Oh, it's so good to be with you guys. Um, I don't know where you all are at. I know it's snowing where Erica is, but here in Utah, the sun is out. Um, it's really hard not to be happy when the sun is out. So <laughs> I'm glad to see that. But uh, I realize, Erica, you had the sun yesterday because you said you were sunbathing yesterday. Yeah, you could almost see the suntan on yeah. my face a little bit. And now it's snowing. It's like only in Indiana, right? You know what? Well, that, that's not true. I mean, it's every yeah. state. The, the weather is like, it, it, it's it's yeah, it's all over the place some days. So. We have weird weather. Anyway, welcome everybody. Thank you for being here. Uh, Mary, hello. Joe, Tom, appreciate you guys being here uh, on our live channel, live stream. Obviously, as you guys know, we, we record this for those of you who aren't able to attend on the live stream. And we also broadcast this out to all of the podcasts and we are now on Facebook. So hopefully people are watching on Facebook. Hello, Facebook world. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Oh, just this week. We'll see. All right, so we got a lot to talk about today, but before we get into the meat and the potatoes, Erica has been dangling this carrot in front of us for about three weeks now, and she sent a text out before we started the show and said she's got the big news to share, so I'm going to turn the table over to Erica, <laughs> and uh, let's let her share her news. Well, I wish I could have shared it earlier than this, but today was the last piece of the puzzle, so... Um, we'd been working on trying to get a piece of property where we could, um, make some of our biggest dreams come true. The first one being growing food <laughs> oh, <cool. laughs> because I don't know if you guys have noticed lately, but mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, grocery <clears throat> prices are going up and where I usually get my, my eggs from the farm that we live backed up to here. And she hasn't had eggs in a while. Mm -hmm. And so we were having to get store-bought eggs and I don't know, we just, we've known that it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. So we wanted to have a place to grow food and, um, but we ended up scoring 34 acres of the absolute paradise, uh, wow. garden of Eden. It has two natural springs on it. So we can actually generate our own electricity from the flowing water that we oh. have. Yeah. We we're like going totally off grid. We're building, um, natural, sustainable, different homes, um, that we're going to use eventually for Airbnbs, but also just to teach people how easy and how many hours and what kind of materials you have on your own land to be able to build them. Brad's a general contractor, but we're both into like sustainability and like, <clears throat> you know, natural resources and stuff like that. And then there's a 9,000 square foot, um, education center is what we call it, but we'll put the, in the basement, we have plans eventually to do, um, a whole natural wellness clinic. And I'm going to host wilderness fasting retreats on the property and just help people. Like the whole idea is just about setting the captives free for whatever kind of bondage we have in our lives. My mm -hmm. focus being, being a nurse all these years is health of course. And so, yeah, I just have that like natural, uh, now that I'm realizing what Western medicine is, but I still have all those skills. So I was like, how can I, 
how could I do this? So I've been foraging and branding and making my own medicines. And there's just tons of natural medicine all over this land. So um, we're going to be doing lots of guided foraging hikes and teaching medicine making and teaching homesteading skills. And um, like we'll teach law, we'll teach anything that helps you self-govern to um, not be held in slavery to anyone. That's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. That is such exciting. So what people out there don't know is that it's been a fight kind of um, for her to acquire this land. It's been in the works and yeah. a struggle and they thought they lost it. But by the grace of God, it didn't pull through for the other people, which we offer them blessings and hope mm -hmm. that their dreams come true in the future when it's the right time. But it's clearly the right time for Erica and Brad. So that's so exciting. Yeah, it's really exciting. We're going to do like a school for kids too, like um, like a three days a week or something, like a homeschool co-op type of vibe. Yeah. Half of it's classroom stuff, um, teaching law and um, all, all the all the really good stuff that you need teaching, to good grown up. Yeah, teaching the Constitution, I presume. Oh, of course. <laughs> we're, teaching, we're teaching everything and teaching about how to be free in your mind first yeah. and foremost. Yeah. All the rest of the stuff's just details. Yeah. But, yeah. And then the other half is like hands-on stuff. So like the building and mm -hmm. um, we're doing the skip program with the permies.com, you know, mm -hmm. it's like the Boy Scouts where you get badges for different things, but eventually you work your way up to like designing your own geothermal house and Wolfati or whatever. And yeah, it's wow. going to be really cool. That's, That's cool. You know, I've, <clears throat> I've been hearing that um, there are a lot of parents around the, around the country who are going in together and they're, they're hiring former teachers who are like, I'm done teaching this crap. And they're hiring them like, they, like a, a co-op or a group of them are doing that. And they're hosting kind yeah. of a hybrid homeschool. You know, that's, I wish there, I wish that's something that we could do or that I could do. I would be totally interested in that here in my area. So any of you who are listening or watching, um, if you're here in the Utah area, um, if you do something like that, let me know, because I would be totally open to that. Um, the issue my wife and I have is we just, you know, it, it's, I wish, <laughs> and this is the struggle for a lot of parents across the country is it's just not feasible to homeschool right. as, as, off, as much as we would love to. It's just not feasible. Yeah. Well, um, they created a trap. They did. No, yeah, they did. Parents out of the house. Yeah, right. yeah they did. So it'd be really good. To, I mean, that's why I'm so excited for you, Erica, because it, you know, it sounds like you've got a, a pretty good size. You said 9,000 square foot building. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that, that is massive. I mean, people, yeah. that's bigger than most elementary schools. <laughs> right. It's it's a very good size building for what we're wanting to do with it. It's going to so be very cool. Yeah. Good for you. Hey, yeah. I was going to ask you too, and, and, and we'll get into things here in a second, but are, have you at all been affected by that train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio? You know, I had heard that we, it, I think it's a little South and East of us mm -hmm. um, in that, in that, cause we're more West, we're more North and West in Indiana. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think we're barely missing it, but even if it is like nature is so much more powerful than anything mm -hmm. we could create. We already know how to make the kinds of, charcoal filters with some peat moss and some, some coconut stuff. And, um, yeah. to be able to filter out any of the water, uh, that we're going to be using anyway. So, um, well, that's good. No, I, I was, hope it's not too much of an issue, but well, it said it's, it's, the, it's been affecting the entire Ohio river Valley. 
Yeah. I mean, and that's like they said, uh, you know, that's that's 10 percent of the of the nation's population. That's that's 30 something million people. I mean, that's that's a lot of people that that's affecting. And anyway, I just you know, I don't want to get off on a tangent because, you know, we, we obviously have specific things that are here. And I would just say for those of you who are wanting more information about that, um, you know, or, or, or other interesting things, I would tell you to jump over to Rumble. Um, or to BitChute and check out um, And We Know is the name of the channel, And We Know. Um, it's put on by LT is his name. Um, that's a great source. And then the other one is the SGT report on Rumble. Um, you guys know I've been on that that uh, report a few times. And, I, and I'm actually going to be going back on with uh, Sean here um, again, um, not, not too far in the distance. So. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, so... Sean's a good dude, and you know he he he's putting out the truth out there. You know, obviously, or I should say, unfortunately, they were they were taken off of uh, the YT and mm-hmm. haven't been allowed back. But you know, he's still doing doing great stuff over on Rumble and BitChute and the other platforms. So. He's been doing it for quite some time. He oh, and yeah. LT, yeah, LT, LT has been around forever. And and what I love about LT, and, and you guys know this, you know, he, he for him he he ends every video that he has in prayer very Christ-centered. Um, it's just a great, it's just a great podcast video to, to listen to. It is. Yeah. So, you know, I, I find when I come home from the gym, I pop on one of his, one of his videos while I'm getting my, uh, my house put back in order from getting our kids all out to school. So, mm-hmm. so that's what works for me. Yeah. Anyway. So with that guys, um, we, we, I've got a lot to cover in our show today. Okay. A lot has happened over this past week. So you guys remember last week I was talking about the report I was writing up. Mm-hmm. You guys remember that about that lawsuit for my, my buddy, Mike Brown. Yes. So I got my report done. Um, I want to share that with you guys. I'm going to share my screen. And I want to go through this because I feel, well, I feel like it's um, really important to go through. So let me see here that there we go okay so this this is the report or the objection i should say to the magistrate's report and recommendation just a quick review you guys remember or maybe you don't but if you if you do when you file a federal district court case chances are you're going to be assigned a magistrate judge um that's really high. Now they will send you some paperwork asking you to allow the magistrate to handle your entire case from start to forward. Do not sign that paperwork. I cannot stress that more. These magistrate judges, um, for lack of a better term, are the, um, they are the um, minor league judges. They're the judges who are trying to get into the system, but they are, they absolutely are not the information I'm seeing from them is so far off in left field. It'll just make your mind, it'll make your uh, mind, your head spin. So anyway, so what we did is I took the report that she issued. So what happens is, you know, you file your lawsuit. The other side files a motion to dismiss or some other frivolous document. They refer that over to the magistrate judge. The magistrate judge goes through it. They go through your, your complaint and then they issue their report and recommendation as to what the court should do with your complaint. For a long story short, this magistrate judge, here's her name right here, Cecilia M. Romero, and I don't care. She's a public judge. Her name can be out there. Cecilia M. Romero 
she issued a report recommending that they grant the the uh, the defendants motion to dismiss. So I came back and threw it back in her her face, <laughs> quite literally. So the first thing I did was I'm challenging the jurisdiction of Cecilia Romero. I'm doing that through a, a voyeur a voyeur diary. Voyeur diary. Um, that is a Latin term. Really, what you're doing is you're challenging the validity of this individual. It's typically this process here is what is done to challenge the um, validity of a juror. So when you're selecting jurors, you're like, hey, I've got a voyeur, uh, a voyeur diary uh, of this judge. And I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing that right, but um, I think I am. Um, of this of this juror, I don't believe that they're valid to sit as a juror. You can use the same approach for anybody that is on on your case. So I put the court on notice that this is this is a jurisdictional challenge. This court has noticed that Romero is required to take an oath to uphold the Constitution of the United States and maintain a copy of that oath at her place of service for inspection. Absent this proof, Romero is neither a de facto nor de jure officer of this court, requiring that this court disregard all of the papers filed by Romero while she was impersonating a federal officer. Okay, so that's the first thing I did. Thoughts on that first part so far, you guys? Jaw dropping. <laughs> I can't pretty... wait to see where it goes from here. Yeah, well, <laughs> just wait. <laughs> I know. So okay. this, this is submitted already. Yes, this was filed with the court. So uh, Mike submitted this to the court earlier, I wanna say earlier this week or late last week, one of the two. Okay, and I got your pronunciation. It's voyeur deer, like Vo deer. voyeur deer. Okay, voyeur deer, like uh, deer in the headlights. Okay, voyeur deer. Got it. Voyeur deer. All right. So, <clears throat> one of the things that I really wanted to harp on, because I, I this is now the fifth case, or excuse me, the fourth case that this judge, magistrate judge, has been involved with Romero, and so I harp on the fact that even if she is a bona fide officer of this court. She cannot show this court that she's complicit with her presumed duty to do equal justice under the law by showing this court that she has ever recommended that a pro se litigant's case should go forward. Because in every single case that I've submitted to the court, every single time she's come back recommending that the motion to be, to be dismissed be granted. Every single time. Every single time. So... Now, the second thing here is I really harp on the grounds for objection because when you guys see what's happened with this case, why I'm saying our ground is fraud on the court, okay? Fraud on the court is defined as a fraud perpetrated by officers of the court so that the judicial machinery cannot perform in the usual manner its impartial task of adjudging cases that are presented for adjudication, all right? You'll see why, why I'm talking about this. This first one hit, hits on it right here. So, um, and I apologize, you know, for those of you who are watching, you guys can read this, but there are a lot of people that listen to us. So I want to, that's why I'm reading this for those who are listening. So my second contention is that her report is erroneous from the beginning to end. And here's where it starts. The defendant's motion to dismiss under rule 12B6, which is the one, um, motion to dismiss for failure to state a claim must be converted to a summary judgment motion. That's rule 56 for summary judgment. And here's why 
I said that this magistrate judge has misapprehended and misapplied the court's taking of judicial notice of exhibits of exhibits filed with defendant's motion to dismiss without properly converting the motion into a motion for summary judgment. Now, while facts subject to judicial notice may be considered in a Rule 12b-6 without converting the motion to dismiss into a motion for summary judgment, Romero misapplies this standard here. And this is why. After review of the court record, this court will see that Brown, who is the moving party, the plaintiff, initially submitted his amended complaint on January 18th, 2022. It was received by the clerk of the court showing his document lodged, electronic court filing 35. This was the first amended complaint submitted by Brown in response to an earlier motion to dismiss and was made in accordance and with pursuant to the rules 15A1B. All right, I'm not going to go into the details of that. You guys can look them up. That's the federal rules of civil procedure. However, Romero didn't properly docket the amended complaint until August 2nd, 2022. Seven months after it was properly received by the court. Additionally, Brown has reason to believe that the only reason that Romero finally docketed this properly submitted amended complaint was in response to his request for a decision paper filed on July the 11th, 2022. Romero states in her report that the court granted the defendant's request to take judicial notice under the Federal Rules of Evidence 201 of the state court case docket and other case-related materials. By doing this, this greatly prejudiced Brown's due process rights and prohibits him from his right to be heard in this court. The materials attached to the defendant's motion to dismiss occurred long after the filing of, a man, of Brown's amended complaint, six months to be exact. Taking judicial notice of these facts constitutes an impossibility, unless, of course, Romero has a time machine and or can magically see into the future. So there you go. You the time machines. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really wanted to hit this one hard. That's okay. a funny one. So James, I'm sure. yes. Can I pause you just for a minute for um, those that are new to all of this? Can you just explain very briefly why, what's the summary judgment is and why it's important? So a summary judgment is basically stating that there is no material issue at, 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 at odds. So there's no material fact um, at issue between the case, excuse me, between the parties, and that one party is entitled to judgment as a matter of law. So basically what it means is that if we were to take this to trial, a jury would find that the plaintiff is entitled to judgment after all of the facts are presented before the jury. No controversy. Exactly. There's no controversy before, before the court. And so this rule allows a party to ask the court to grant them their judgment based on that same principles like hey there's no there's no controversy before the before the court but what i'm stating is that there is a controversy before the court and the court is greatly prejudicing our rights in favor of the defendants if they adopt this report so okay. um i won't go into more details of what i say here um but essentially this is what it comes down to I said, if the magistrate judge Romero wants this court to take judicial notice of these documents, the plaintiff's due process rights and equal justice under the law require that the defendant's motion to dismiss be converted into a motion for summary judgment 
after all parties have had time to submit supporting documents, affidavits, inter answers to interrogatories, or depositions in support of that motion. I mean, that did, doesn't that just you seem logical process? to you too? What's that? You mean due process? What did I say? Is that, I mean, wouldn't that be considered due process? Like yes. being able yeah. to go through all of those steps? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yes. Due process requires you to have an opportunity to a notice <laughs> and an opportunity to be heard. Right. So if this court adopts this report, they're violating this man's due process rights mm -hmm. because they're not allowing him to be heard. Right. They're basically saying that even though he followed the court rules and properly filed his amended complaint six months before all this crap happened, the court would be saying, yeah, that doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, it does. It absolutely does. Mm -hmm. So um, I won't go over everything else here. Um, I'll just touch on a few things here. Um, the next thing she does is she asserts that the, uh, the state court judge is barred. Um, the claims against him are barred by absolute judicial immunity. Uh, again, nothing could be further from the truth. We talk, the, the court says, the Supreme Court says, there's only two exceptions to absolute judicial immu immunity. Actions not taken in the judge's judicial capacity and judicial actions taken in the complete absence of all jurisdiction. Well, wouldn't you know it? What did we challenge in state court? What do I tell you guys to challenge? Jurisdiction. jurisdiction. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> we challenged jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. I mean, in, in this woman... She even states in her report what we did. What do you think a threshold issue is? A threshold issue. A jurisdictional issue. Exactly, exactly right? Uh, you know, well, let me ask you this, um, Justice. What's a threshold? You know, like in a, in a construction's term. Um, like something that um, encompasses the maximum of something. Like as far as it can go, right? Yeah. The doorway. Yeah. Right? It's a doorway. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they, they always talk about, you know, crossing the threshold. Oh, into, yeah. Okay. Into your home. Carrying your right. bride over the threshold. Exactly. Yeah. Right, Carrying right, right, your yeah. new bride over the threshold. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. So if you're challenging jurisdiction, that is a threshold issue. It prevents the court from moving forward until that challenge has been, um, has been properly proven on the record. So this, this moron, and I don't have a problem calling her that because she is not worth the time the court is giving her. This moron states now, in now. her report. Now, now. <laughs> well, you know how I feel. You know how I feel too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying she's not worth, you know, hey, she can do whatever she wants with her life. Just stay the crap away from my cases. Right. Um, she talks about how, you know, in the amended complaint that, you know, that the, the state court judge didn't follow this, denied threshold issues, and she says that these are all um, judicial in nature. Well, guess what she conveniently omits? Well, in... Did you say admit or omit? Omits. Okay. Right here. Okay. I said Romero conveniently omits the fact that the threshold issues presented before the municipal court were jurisdictional issues noted in the amended complaint at paragraph 98. And at paragraph 98, it says the issues presented were in personam jurisdiction, subject matter jurisdiction, and other jurisdictional issues. I said, additionally, it's noted of the fact that the prosecution failed to object to these jurisdictional challenges in writing prior to the hearing 
and is and was stopped from bringing his objections. He, he couldn't bring them up. The rules don't allow him to, but he did. Um, this, is the, this is the power we the people have, you guys. In my footnote here, I state that the, um, he supported his amended complaint with a sworn affidavit verifying under the penalty of perjury to the truthfulness of all of his allegations, which have gone unrebutted thus far. So under this standard, well-pled allegations and a verified complaint must be taken as true and factual. Okay? And this so, is happening nationwide in these courts. Everywhere. Everywhere. So I'm going to skip down here. She also brings up this ridiculous doctrine called the Heck Doctrine. Just for everybody knows, the Heck Doctrine is one where you're convicted in a state court and then you file a 194, uh, excuse me, a Title 42, 1983 civil rights complaint challenging that conviction. The Heck Doctrine prevents that. There Again, hmm. how does that doctrine apply when there was no conviction when we filed this, we filed our complaint? Yeah, that's interesting. It makes no sense whatsoever. Mm -hmm. um, I talked about the quasi-criminal action using administrative law, and we're going to talk about this today a lot. So, James, you rebut that heck doctrine, right? I did. Mm -hmm. And do you do you ask for evidence when you rebut these? You well, yeah. Them? I mean, it's it's right here. So, um, I say I say it right here. How is it that actions that took place seven months after the timely filing of an amended complaint should have any bearing on the outcome of a motion to dismiss filed seven months later? It's absurd to believe that equal justice under the law would be served for this honorable court to adopt this report and recommendations under these pretenses. I mean, am I wrong? No, I'm just, my question was, do you put the burden of proof back on them? It is. The burden of proof is on the moving party. The moving party in this case is the defendants. They're seeking to have our case thrown out. Right. So the burden of proof is on them. And I, and I touch on that here in a, in a little bit. Okay. Okay. The next thing I touch on is the prosecutor. His name is Defendant Robinson. He brought a quasi-criminal action against the plaintiff using administrative law to supersede his constitutionally secured rights. All right. We're going to talk about this. Okay. Um, here, here's where I really hammer. <laughs> and this is, I think this section here is the section I'm most proud of, uh, where I hammer this uh, magistrate judge. It's uh, section D it says, Oh, and by the way, just so everyone knows this document was posted in the affidavits one-on-one group on telegram. Um, it's under this title heading plaintiff's objection to magistrate judge's order. You guys, you guys can all get a copy of this. You can download this. You can plagiarize this as much as you want. Be my guest. Okay. Section D, I'm going to read this one because this is super important because, again, nobody talks about the you know, how facts get before the court. And I say Romero's lack of understanding of how facts get before the court. Romero also proves to be an embarrassment to this court with Romero's lack of understanding on how facts are properly presented to the court. Any fact that is presented to the court in brief or argument must adhere to the rules of evidence and must be sworn to by a witness or someone withstanding who has personal knowledge of the situation. And that's, that's coming from the federal rules of evidence, mm -hmm. rule 602. With this in mind, Romero's understanding of the use of affidavits to support the amended complaint is crucial in any summary proceeding. Just so you guys are aware, a motion to dismiss is a summary proceeding. 
They're asking the court to summarize that, hey, you guys don't have a case. So here's what I say. To wit, the sound principle is that unsworn allegation allegations in unverified papers may be pierced by affidavits that measure up to the evidentiary requirements of Rule 56E, that's the summary judgment rule, in defeating a motion to dismiss under Rule 12B6. If the adverse party does not so respond, the court cannot lawfully consider the papers as they are presented in an improper format and are a nullity. Uh-oh, see Trinzi v. Pagliaro. There's that case again. It is immaterial that the defendant's counsel, whose papers were unsworn by defendants, referenced otherwise relevant authorities. Romero continues her attack on both the integrity of these proceedings by claiming that Brown's sworn unrebutted statements are not facts but merely allegations. Romero's assertion is too bizarre to even comment on. A question exists. How does Romero think that facts get before the court other than by sworn testimony? And this is one of my favorite cases too. You guys write this one down. Defendant has filed no counter affidavit and therefore for the purposes of the motion before the court, the allegations in the affidavit of plaintiff must be considered as true as true. Excuse me. Federal rules of civil procedure rule 9D. That case is group V Finletter. It's F-I-N-L-E-T-T-E-R. And by the way, that came out of the district of D the district court out of D.C. That's mm. a very liberal court. Romero continues to advocate on behalf of the defendants to the great prejudice of Brown by presuming facts that are not in evidence or in the record. Her assertion that the defendants are entitled to qualified immunity is too bizarre to even comprehend. Romero's acknowledgement that the state court judgment is facially void is painfully evident in Romero's own paper. To wit that Brown properly challenged the state court's jurisdiction of the subject matter, among other things, a challenge that went unanswered and unopposed by the moving party in the municipal court case, defendant Woods Cross City and defendant Robinson. Romero's erroneous declaration is that the unanswered jurisdictional challenges of Brown proves nothing where the rule of law provides quite the opposite. Okay. This is a really important section here. The Federal Practice and Procedures Manual, Section 3522, clearly establishes that once jurisdiction has been challenged, it is presumed that the court lacks jurisdiction unless or until the evidentiary sufficiency is provided and submitted to the record. The presumption is that a court lacks jurisdiction on a particular issue until it has been demonstrated that jurisdiction over the subject matter exists. The facts showing the existence of a jurisdiction must be affirmatively in the record. If jurisdiction is challenged, the burden is on the party claiming jurisdiction to demonstrate that the court has jurisdiction over the subject matter. The limits upon jurisdiction must be neither disregarded nor evaded. The requirement to submit admissible evidence upon the record proving jurisdiction once it is challenged is mandatory. The Supreme Court of the United States, as well as lower courts, have consistently reaffirmed the requirement that once jurisdiction is challenged, those who claim it must submit the evidence to prove the validity of the claim. Any questions on that, you guys? Did Erica, Justice? Um, I was muted. Um, yeah. No, no questions, but it's it's damning. It is. So, it's, but it's, here's 
here's like my main thing that I keep thinking. These magistrates don't just come out under a rock somewhere and start doing this sort of work, right? <laughs> Are you like, sure? Well, she, to me, she's either, you know, just totally unknowledgeable and doesn't know the law and is completely incompetent, or perhaps she's operating by a different set of instructions than the ones that we are. Well, here's the thing. Okay. Well, yeah. These magistrate judges, oftentimes they are just barely coming off of practicing law. How many lawyers do you know that actually submit verified affidavits with their complaints or with any documents that they file with the court? Zero. They just, they skirt these little issues and they just, they hope that the court will just go ahead and um, render judgment in their favor. So, so again, the problem is if I want the court, if, I, if I'm moving the court to issue a judgment in my favor, I still have to grant the court the power to do so, right? So if I'm the plaintiff and I submit my, my complaint and I support that complaint with an affidavit sworn under the penalty of perjury that everything in my complaint is true, I have given the court the power it needs. But if I'm the defendant and I'm challenging the validity of that complaint, and all I do is I have some Joe Schmo shyster submit a motion to dismiss, and there's no affidavit from, from me, one of the named defendants. Have I given that court any power to grant that motion to dismiss? So he has to rebut it point by point. He does. In, in addition with his motion to dismiss. Yeah, and this, this is exactly what I'm, I'm going to get a freaking ruling on this. This is the challenge that I'm taking. He's like, hey, why is it that, that we put our neck on the line, but they're not supposed to? And, and how, how is it that when they didn't put their neck on the line by swearing under the penalty of perjury that everything they did was above board, that they did everything according to the, to the rules and, the, and due process rights of the Constitution, how is it then that they're not willing to submit an affidavit supporting that, or even depositions for that matter? I mean, we already know the answer. Well, because they they're trying to get away with it. Yes. The path of least resistance. Yes. And they'll keep doing it until they get called out on it. Yes. I'll tell yes. you, after, re after Romero reads this, she's going to remember this smiting. <laughs> oh, I sure hope so. I want her to yeah. remember this. Right, I mean, yeah. Joe brings up a good point here. She said, um, in my quest of jurisdiction in my case, I have found that I have done this to hundreds of people. Yes, they have. And what do you call that? This is called racketeering. Racketeering. Yeah. <laughs> exactly what this is. So, James, do you add RICO charges in there then? You know what? You absolutely can. Um, and I haven't. You know, I'm, I'm going after them for this. But you can bring a RICO claim against these people. And here's the thing, you guys. When you bring a RICO claim against these people, you, you the, the, the Supreme Court has stated that you have the right to to go after them as a private attorney general and that the department of justice is required to open up an investigation and to file an information, a criminal information against them. Could you explain real quick what, what RICO means for yeah, it's racketeer influenced corrupt organization. It's, it's basically any organization that is extorting money from people under the color of law. Knowingly. Knowingly. And knowing what they're doing is wrong. Okay, so <clears throat> what I've got up on the screen now is where, again, we talk about, you know, the judgment that was issued was a void judgment. 
and it has no bearing whatsoever on anything. Again, like I said before, when you challenge jurisdiction in any of these state courts, it stops at that point. Anything they do after that means nothing. Absolutely nothing. Okay. Um, I'm not going to go through all of that stuff here for the interest of time. Um, I talk about how this judge's failure to follow the federal law and the rules of procedure, the appearance of fairness has been lost. I can't trust this judge anymore. Right. We just can't. So I talk about here how uh, this is the one that I really just, I can't understand this. It states under this rule that when a magistrate judge is assigned, they must promptly conduct the required hearings. So my question is this, what is this court's definition of promptly? Because it's been previously noted, we filed a document seven months later, she finally did something. Is that yeah. prompt? That doesn't seem prompt to me. Yeah, it would be a great question. Yeah. Secondly, under this rule, it states that a, a record must be made of all evidentiary proceedings. Where is this record? Because I can see nothing. So are we are we to follow the rules as the Supreme Court states that we're supposed to? Oh, oh, you pro se people, you have to follow the rules, but we can just pick and choose whatever we want. Exactly. That's not so, how this works. James, would this be considered um, a notice to them? It if, is. If then later you, you are following up with a RICO charge because now mm -hmm. they are knowingly continuing to move forward in a way that is not honorable. Exactly. Yeah, I, I put it on the record. I put it on the record. So, so do they ever claim like, you know, deniability, like plausible deniability. It would seem like really weak to be in a position if they could claim something. But even so, this is the notice. Yeah. There is none. Yeah, no, they, I don't, I don't know that they can. I really don't think they can. There's no plausible deniability here. Just, I, I, I would think so, but. Not ooh, after I, that sort of a light bulb moment for Romero. No. Well, prior to this is what I'm saying. Oh, right? yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how they can. I mean, they try. But I, I just don't well, see that's how what I'm can. saying. Do, do they try to do that type of yeah. thing? Yeah, all the time. Because it's all so weak. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just a weak. They, their, their position is weak. They have they don't have a leg to stand on. They just they don't. OK, so, so bills of attainder. Yeah, let's talk about bills of attainder. Um, let me ask you guys, what what do you guys think a bill of attainder is? And, and I just want to say that's a fantastic what you did, James, is fantastic oh yeah no I, I i just like i said you know the purpose of these episodes is i want to share with everybody what's going on you know what i'm doing um and you know the the people i'm helping um you know unfortunately i do have a a, a brief update for our friend heather down in southern utah she unfortunately uh one of her liars will not recuse himself um won't withdraw so she's kind of stuck there um but there's, there is some still hope. There's, there's a slimmer of hope, but we're going to figure this out. So again, you guys, you just have to know any one of these court appointed lawyers or, or um, I call them shysters, liars, any one of them, they're all following the, the, the same problems and the same procedures that anybody else would in their profession. And either they're doing it out of ignorance, they're doing it out of spite, or they're just doing it because they don't care about you. That's just the fact of the yeah, matter. There's a whole other world going on in their world that we think we are learning about a little bit, mm -hmm. but I think there's like, there's something else going on because we can come in with truth and facts all day long and, mm -hmm. and try to get remedy with what we know, but something, we, they just keep getting railroaded in the course. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Just, just like this example here. I yeah. 
Yeah, Brianna, uh, Brianna says, last year I was served by a debt collector. I sent an answer, but the judge ignored it, granted the judgment without addressing anything in my answer. Same thing in my eviction hearing. So, Brianna, you, you've got to avoid judgment on your hands. I would attack that judgment collaterally. I would file a petition in another another court. I would name the debt, debt collector as a defendant. And, and you would just point out the facts, you know, hey, a, a review of the court record will show that um, the moving party in that case, which was the debt collector, did not grant the court the jurisdiction it needed to issue a binding judgment. So any monies extorted from you, any any property unlawfully taken from you, you are now, um, you can obviously be returned all of that. Um, but, but you're also, I believe, entitled to punitive damages for threefold. Mm -hmm. So... I mean, these things aren't to be messed around with, but but these courts are taking this, they're they're taking this risk, and they're just like they're begging people to call them out on it. So let's call them out on it. Let's do they're it. getting away with it, and they have yeah. been for a long time. And that's what Erica was yeah. just saying. And it's they're bullying people, yeah, they're breaking the law, and yeah. you and just ruining lives. Like mm -hmm. that's the they're they're destroying people's lives, yeah. and then yeah. we're already so busy with everything. Like we have time to study. Um, all of these rules and laws. I mean, thank God for people like, you know, you guys coming in here and yeah, learning, trying to just learn. Well, so let's let's talk about you know um, the topic of the show again. I apologize. We always take forever to get to it, but we do get to it. <laughs> you know, just <laughs> so, start off with it. How's that sound? I know, I know. Um, the topic of the show was bills of attainder and and why should I care? What are they? Um, Erica, let me ask you, what, what do you think a bill of attainder is? Well, it's like, it's like being told that you're guilty and here's the fine for it, but you never actually got a fair way to prove that you're not guilty. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good definition. Justice. What about you? What do you think? Um, what do you think is your definition of a bill of attainder? You know, I, I don't know. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say, I don't know. And, that, and that's okay. That's okay. So let me, um, whoops, let me go back to the way the word sounds attain sounds mm -hmm. like capture something, right? Yeah. Attain something. It's similar. Okay. Let me, um, that's not what I wanted. Where is it? Oh, I always forget. I got to make sure it's open. There we go. Okay. Let me open up this window here and I will share with you. Um, this is from Cornell law school. So it's, you know, a pretty decent source in, um, in our United States constitution, it's article one, section nine clause 3.1 says bills of attainder. And this is exact. This is what it says. No bill of attainder or ex post facto law shall be passed. So most people just, you know, they see that and they just, you know, their, their eyes gloss over or they pass over it. Cause you know, they probably don't know what it means, but you have to remember Put yourself in the shoes, you know, 17, let's say 1745 to 1770. All right. What was going on? What was happening? Um, well, obviously we had um, colonials were here. They were um, colonial. Uh, they were um, expanding throughout, you know, the, the New England area, um, building multiple cities. You know, Boston was around. New York was around, although it was New Amsterdam at first. Um, so. What was happening, though, is the king, you know, King George from England, you know, if, if you did something that he didn't like, he would just write a law and just say, you're guilty and you're done. 
just done. It's basically like he was passing, he was passing the sentence and he was judge, jury, and executioner all in one. Right. And then he was like stripping people of their like Everything. ability and banning Everything. them from being able to pass anything onto their children. Like yep. you're dead to yep. me. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, you're right. I mean, he was just taking, you know, whatever title they may have had. Um, he may have just taken whatever it was that you had rightfully earned, or let's say, you know, your parents were nobles and they passed that right on down to you. Nope, gone. You're done. You're dead to me. That's exactly what was happening. So when the founders, you know, for obvious reasons, this was a very contentious, excuse me, issue at the time. Bills of attainder. So this is essentially what they are. Um, they are special acts of the legislature that inflict capital punishments upon persons who are supposed to be guilty of high offenses, you know, such as treasons or felonies, without any conviction in the ordinary course of judicial proceedings. All right. Now, on the flip side of that, if if an act of the legislature inflicts a milder degree of punishment, then it is called a bill of pains and penalties. Essentially what it is, is the legislature assumes judicial magistry pronouncing upon the guilt of the party without any of the common forms and guards of a trial and satisfying itself with proofs when such proofs are within its reach, whether they conform to the rules of evidence or not. In short, the legislature exercises the highest power of sovereignty and what may be properly deemed an irresponsible despotic discretion being governed solely by what it deems political necessity or expediency and too often are under the influence of reasonable fears and unfounded suspicions. Okay. That's a lot of mumbo jumbo there. But well, it sounded like the definition of an administrative court. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. What did you just say? I was like, wait, what are, is that the definition of a bills of attainder or administrative oh, court? I'm you, confused. You know, you, how, did you know ahead of time? Did you no. know ahead of time what I was going to get to? Oh, no. Oh, wait till you see what I have here. Take a look at this. Here it comes. Could administrative law be unconstitutional? Question mark. This is a PDF document um, that was written by Richard Palmquist. Um, for those of you who have ordered the CDs that Alphonse talks about, um, this was here. Okay. So the central issue, I, wanted, I want to talk about this right here in the middle of the screen. For those of you who are watching, it's the central issue. So let's talk about what is administrative law. Remember, the Constitution allows the legislature to pass administrative laws in order to govern the activity of administrative agencies who are tasked with doing governmental tasks, right? Mm -hmm. So an administrative law is first, number one, it's an act of the legislative body. Two, it describes a group of people or entities. Three, it imposes a duty inflicting potential pain or penalty for non-performance and four, without first consulting a jury for authority. All right? So that's what administrative law is. What did we just read a bill of attainder is? To hold administrative uh, accountable. That's what uh, I was saying. I'm Erica, like, 
Erica, this is can, exactly the same thing. Can you see this spot right here on the screen where it says a bill of attainder is? Yes. Go ahead and read that. It's the same exact definition of administrative law. The mm -hmm. legislate is an act of a legislative body naming a described individual or group of people or entities imposing pain or penalty without first consulting a jury for authority. Okay. <laughs> now we. Is this not starting to sink in and making sense for people? Mm -hmm. So then here's my question. Why does the government behave as though administrative law is constitutional when bills of attainder are outlawed? Because they can and they're doing it. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Let me, let me further this a little bit more for you. All right. Um, here's, here's something interesting. So, um, there's a photo here. For those of you who are listening, there's a photo here. And this is um, this is a, and I don't remember exactly where this is. Uh, oh, it's, it's at Yorktown. It's the Yorktown display in Williamsburg, Virginia. And it says here, it says, April 1764, Parliament passes the Sugar Act to raise money from the colonies through import taxes. In response, Boston merchants refused to buy English luxury goods. They also did this little thing called the Boston Tea Party. You guys remember that? I recall. Now, there was a Boston lawyer. His name was James Otis Jr. And he said this, taxes are not to be laid on the people, but by their consent. <laughs> okay. Yeah. My my daughter is reading the Declaration of Independence. Um, she's, yeah. taking, she's taking some college courses from Hillsdale, actually. She's 15. Yes. And she's going through this because how important this is. She yeah. said, William, had they ever taxed us? you know, un mm -hmm. unknowingly and so mm -hmm. forth like, all the time. <laughs> yep. So here's, here's something else. that's interesting, right? A little further down in this document, it says our bills of attainder like administrative laws. If it walks like a duck, talks like a duck or quacks like a duck and looks like a duck. Is it a duck? It's a duck. What is a bill of attainder? A bill is a law to attain means to get. Mm-hmm. A bill of attainder is one, an act of legislature that identifies members of a group targeted by the law and three, dictates a penalty be to be inflicted for without trial outside the reach of a jury. So a bill of attainder is a law designed to get something. Okay. Now, let me stop sharing my screen there. Let me open up my other screen and let's start looking at some laws, shall we? Let's go here to, let's go back to good old Utah and let's look at, let's go down here to our criminal code, Utah criminal code. Now, last week, guys, we talked about the issues with what you find on your state's legislative website and why. Why some of those are questionable as if they were actually passed by the legislature. We're not going to go back into that. But I want to talk about knowing what we know now, what the definition of a bill of attainder is, if these laws relate. Okay? So, here we are under Utah law, Utah code, Title 76, it's the criminal code, Chapter 5, Offenses Against the Individual, Section 102. I like to use this one because this is what um, our friend Heather was, was charged with. Okay? And it states here, number two, 
an actor commits assault if the actor blah 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 attempts with unlawful force or violence to inflict bodily injury commits unlawful force and then and then what does it say right here under number three justice a violation of subsection two is what sorry i'm muted is a class b misdemeanor okay all right so keep that in mind because again this section here says assault penalties all right, so we know that. Let's go back here and let's look at the definitions. Okay, actor means a person whose criminal responsibility is an issue in a criminal action. Okay. What does person say right here, Erica? An individual, public or private corporation, government, partnership, or unincorporated association. Okay. Now, let me go back to where we were before. Let's look at the definition of a bill of attainder again. What is the definition of a bill of attainder? Erica, right up here where it says bill of attainder. An act of a legislature that identifies members of a group targeted by the law and dictates a penalty to be inflicted without trial outside the reach of a jury. So here's my question. Did that law we just review, does that fit the bill of what a bill of attainder is? What do you guys think? Yeah. Justice, you're on mute again. How, well, it, they didn't say exactly how, um, it just said violations of this, right? How is that determined if you violated it? Do you get a trial to prove that you violated it? <laughs> do do we, we need to go back a little bit here and we need to understand when the founders enumerated the rights that the government was supposed to follow, where, where it said in the Sixth Amendment, in criminal prosecutions, the right to a trial by jury shall not be infringed, shall remain inviolate. Right. Okay. So that law I just read said it's a crime. So you are guaranteed a, a trial by jury. Now, your, your, your guilt or innocence is determined by the jury. And additionally, what the founders envisioned was that your punishment would be inflicted based on the severity of the crime as determined by the jury, mm -hmm. not the legislative body. It is not their job to pre prescribe yeah, punishment. This is, a, this is a minority report kind of administrative. Is, isn't it though? Right? It's like... Uh, it it like really kind of, it just makes your head spin. Okay, let me go back here to where we were. That word usurpations keeps coming to mind. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to go back here into the Utah Criminal Code. Under Chapter 3, it talks about punishments, classification of offenses. Oh, let's see. Designation of offenses. All right, it talks about that. Misdemeanors classified. Misdemeanors are classified into three categories, class A, B, or C, right? Then it talks about what an infraction is. So let's go back in here. Fines and special sanctions. Wait a second. Fines of individuals? Oh, boy. An individual convicted of a misdemeanor or infraction and sentenced to pay a fine may not be charged by a court, blah, 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 blah. But look what it says right here. 
an individual convicted of an offense may be sentenced to pay a fine not exceeding what did it say that was? Is a class B misdemeanor? Mm -hmm. What does that say? $1,000 for a class B misdemeanor conviction. Okay. Now, let me go back over here. <laughs> wow, what a rascal. Let me go back to, sorry, let me get to here. This is where I want. Make sure I'm on the right spot. Okay. Nope, I'm not. I got to stop sharing. And I don't love how I can't switch between <clears throat> tabs and things. Let me go back here again. For the third time, what is a bill of attainder? An act of the legislature that identifies a member or a group, members or a, of a group targeted by the law and dictates a penalty to be inflicted without trial outside the reach of a jury. Mm -hmm. So you guys just saw how I just pulled up a Utah criminal law and states that if you're guilty of this, it's a class B misdemeanor and you can be fined up to a thousand dollars. So please, can somebody tell me how that's not a bill of pains and penalties and a bill of attainder? It is. So yeah. isn't that unconstitutional? Yes. I mean, let me just, here's, here's the next little rabbit hole. <laughs> I'm sure loving these rabbit holes. Um, they, they've been getting away with this for quite a long time. And it's, um, you know, the rising of people wanting to represent themselves and stop these injustices is hopefully it doesn't take longer than, but it yeah. clearly is illegal and it's clearly unconstitutional and people, they're going to do it until somebody confronts them. Uh, Utah Constitution, Article 1, Declaration of Rights, Section 18. No bill of attainder, ex post facto law, or law impairing the obligation of contracts shall be passed. Mm. Okay, so here's another question then. Okay. Because <clears throat> none of those laws that you were just looking up had mm -hmm. the enacting clause that actually made mm -hmm. it the law, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> yeah. So technically they're not breaking their own rule, right? Like they didn't pass them. They're just expecting that maybe you'll think they did and go along with it and just pay your fine. Exactly. I guess, like I said, you guys, they have been doing this for so long and getting away with it for so long because we, the sheeple have been asleep for right. so long. We've been going along to get along just all right. You know what? I, I just, I won't do anything. I won't speed. I won't do any of these things, but then they, you know, it, it breaks your heart when you attend one of these alleged court hearings, whatever we want to call them, and there's 30 or 40 good people in there. And they're just saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Can I just pay the fine? Can I just pay the fine? I mean, you guys got to, if this weren't so evil, it would be genius. Really? Yeah. Because it's exactly what they're doing. They're just, they, to them, what's the risk versus the reward? The reward is 10 times the risk. And if they're mm -hmm. going to get one, some, one person that's going to step up to it, they're going to say, okay, well, we'll just go ahead and pay out this settlement and just keep doing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. and it's, not, it's not until we, the people, wake up, we start challenging these ridiculous things like, like Heather. She's trying to challenge this. It's, it's not until we wake up and say, you know what? No. No, no, is no, I'm not doing this. This is a bill of attainder. As this law is being applied to me, mm -hmm. because according to the, the term person, I'm an individual 
right? This law inflicts a penalty. This does all these things. It's a bill of attainder. Aside from the fact, like you mentioned, Erica, there's no enacting clause. I can find no signatures. I can find no evidence that this law was actually even passed by the legislature. So where are you guys getting this crap? Mm -hmm. Makes yeah. sense? Yep. So pretty damning, James. It's like, they, here's how they get us though, okay? It's just like with everything that's happened over the last couple of years, if they can get us to focus on the minutia, the mm -hmm. details of everything, mm -hmm. and we mm -hmm. don't ever step back and take a look at the big picture and be like, wait a second, mm -hmm. this yeah. whole thing is fraud. It's yeah. like, you know, they get us focusing on the tiny details. Yeah. Mary brings up a good point. She says multiple defendants named out of Utah in the federal 19... Federal 42 USC 1983 Bivens claim with formal criminal charges I'm filing. Criminal deprivation of equal protection under the law. Multiple causes of action. Good for you, Mary. Good. We need more people like you. Mm -hmm. We do. You know, it's, it's like we've said before. You know, I'm only one man. Justice is only one woman. Erica is only one woman. We're trying to do what we can. We're trying to get the word out there, which is why right. why we do this. Mm -hmm. um, we started doing um, a question, a Q&A session. Um, I would like to do more of those. Uh, probably going to have to do them during the day. It's more feasible for me to do that during the day than it is at night. But we just wanted to, uh, <clears throat> we just wanted to be able to give you guys the information that you guys need. Yeah. Quahu, um, let's see here. When you properly challenge jurisdiction at arraignment, how does the case move along? Must they provide a sworn complaint and evidence on record of subject matter jurisdiction before you can proceed? The answer is yes. They are required to do so. You guys... If you remember earlier in the broadcast, we talked about, um, I brought that up in my court filing. 99.9999999997% um, of the time, they'll never do it. Yeah, they don't do it. And then they spend the rest of the time railroading you until you can figure out how to slow that yeah. freight train. Yeah. They just, they just think that they, they just think that you're, 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 you're one of the dumb little monkeys and you're going to be like, okay, just go ahead. Um, oh, this court has jurisdiction. The legislature says I have jurisdiction to hear anything that happens in this area. Um, that's territorial jurisdiction, you numb nuts. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay, let's get it right. <laughs> so, so then, so then, what happens? What's the recourse for when this does move through and get railroaded? I have a friend who just got done. She challenged subject matter jurisdiction. They completely ignored it. They railroaded her. Now they're trying to take her house. Yeah, and and so she went to the sheriff thinking. You know, the sheriff can help. I mean, mm -hmm. if, if so, it, no, he called himself a cashier for the courts. Yeah. Um, what your friend needs to do is one, um, give her my number and have her reach out to me. Okay. Um, two, she needs to file a, um, a collateral action in another district court challenging the, the, uh, that, that judgment, basically asking that other court to vacate a void judgment. Cause that's what it is. Mm -hmm. So it's real simple. And they cannot, you guys, they cannot come into another court stating we had jurisdiction. This is a binding judgment. If the record doesn't reflect it, they can't do it. They're going to try, but they absolutely can't not do it. And eventually at some point along the line, you're going to get an adult in the room. Somebody's going to say, uh, yeah, no, this isn't how this works. You cannot deprive someone of their property without proper due process of law can't do it so yeah, yeah um diesel we're going to talk about this in an episode down the road property mm -hmm. taxes oh that's, that's another big, big one that's yeah. another big one so 
Don't get me started on the unconstitutionality of how they are misapplying property tax laws to the everyday man and woman and their property. You cannot be taxed for living on your land. And in context. Yes. doesn't work that way. doesn't work that way. Yep. Yep. So uh, Mary says that she challenged jurisdiction out of Connecticut and Utah municipal and state courts railroaded with fraud upon the court. Yep. That's just how they are. And it doesn't matter what state you're in. This is the sad part is they're all doing it. All of them. So anyway, that's, that's what we had for today. Um, you guys, I wanted to talk about what a bill of attainder is. Now, what I want you guys to do is to take this information and review your state's laws, review anything that you're being charged with, either in traffic court or whatever court it may be, and apply the same standard. Is this an act of the legislature? Does it identify an individual or a group of people? Does it specify a penalty? And are they trying to do this absent a jury's determination? If that's the case, it's a bill of attainder, unconstitutional, can't do it. You need to challenge it. Okay. Any uh, any closing thoughts, you two? Yeah, I, I just had a thought too, like, because I just took my son to the courthouse on Friday, mm -hmm. right? We just made our rounds and we we're just talking to everyone. We got a couple of um, sheriff's deputies. We talked to a couple of court clerks. We went to each department. We're just, you know, kind of finding out what they do. And they're just such nice people, right? Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just really love the people who are working at the courthouse where we are. They don't know what they're a part of, though. They don't. Like, if they could just, they're all just keeping their heads down like this, doing their one little stamping job or their one little, you know, I, I went 10 different places to try to record something for a deed. And each person only did like one tiny little, they're just like, eh, yes. They, they, they know their little piece of the, you give, of, of the you process. You give people one tiny little job and they can focus mm -hmm. on the details. Then no one yeah. ever steps back like this. Right. So my encouragement to everyone always is just be be forming relationships with the men and the women who are filling these roles. If, if they're wearing the costume of the police officer, if they're wearing the robe of the judge, if they're wearing the suit of the banker, like whoever they are, they're men and women underneath of it. Right. And they're just mm -hmm. doing what someone else told them to do. And so if you can like make a genuine connection with the person in the costume, Mm -hmm. um, that just goes such a long way. And then if we start holding those people accountable for what they're a part of mm -hmm. and helping to educate them in a, in a compassionate way, because they really don't know, yeah. like the, the people who are doing all the blah, blahs, they really don't know what they're doing and what they're a part of. So just be compassionate yeah. with them and help educate them. You know, this, this is why I, I, I feel that it's, it's super important to be able to inform our public servants of the law. And this is what I tell people all the time. And I say the same thing is like, hey, you know, if I'm in a courthouse or if I'm in a police station or if I'm if I'm requesting a public record from somebody is like, hey, listen, I, I'm not going to ask you to do anything that the law doesn't compel you to do. So if I'm asking you to do this, it's because I found the law that's written that states that you as one of the public servants who are here to serve me, your master. I'm not going to say that, but you know what I mean? It, the, the law compels you to give me this information I'm asking for. So if you have policies and procedures in place that state that I can't get this, well, then you need to have a serious conversation with your supervisor because you guys are openly violating the law. Clearly established, well-written, black-letter law. So, 
know, and then on top of it, don't be afraid because no one in a costume has any more authority and power over you because of their costume or because of their title, mm -hmm. because we're all equal. And so the half the battle is just in the, the fear of the confrontation of the conversation. Yeah. You know, don't be yeah. afraid to speak the truth when and where and with whom it needs to be spoken. Yeah. And just I mean, there's... remember that you're free. Like you are, you are mm -hmm. a woman or a man, a creation of God and, and then interact that way and send your energy out that way. And then the people around you absorb it. They really you do. Know, and that, that brings up a really good, a really good point, Erica, is, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're pulled over by one of these road pirates wearing a, a badge with a gun and a taser, that is not the time to start throwing up a fight. You no. know what? There's no reason why you cannot assert your rights. There's no reason why you can't say, hey, officer, what crime have I committed? Am I about to commit? Or do you believe I'm currently committing? You know, what crime am I committing? Well, I pulled you over because you had a broken taillight. Okay, is that a crime? <laughs> well, no, but, you know, you can't be on the road here, blah, 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 blah. Okay, just want to make sure that, you know, and your body cam's working, right? Yes, it's working. Okay, good. I want to make sure we're on the record of stating that you pulled me over because I had a broken taillight, but you said that's not a crime. Okay. Because you got to go back and look at your laws. That violates your fourth amendment right to unreasonable search and seizure. Right. Pull you over and try to search you. Now guys, there was, and this broke, broke my freaking heart. Um, I don't remember what channel I saw it on, but on, on telegram the other day, somebody posted a link to a video in Twitter and there was a highway patrol deputy in Florida who um, has been, charged with 14 felonies of falsifying falsifying evidence trumped up drug charges because he would initiate a traffic stop and he would ask people if he could search their car and people said i've got nothing to hide go right ahead and he was planting drugs on their car to get a drug bust oh did you guys see this no yes and i don't remember exactly what his name is but i know it was in florida this, this guy is going to spend a lot of time in prison, but he ruined the lives of dozens, if not hundreds of people. There was one gentleman who lost his children over this. Ugh. I mean, it's just heartbreaking. So I posted in the, re I replied to that. So what's the moral of the story? Do not let these road pirates search anything without a warrant. Mm -hmm. Right. You guys, even though if you're sitting here, it's like, well, I got nothing to hide, but you don't know that other man or woman, you don't know their motives. You don't know their intent. You're presuming because they wear a badge and they have a gun that they're going to uphold the law. They don't. I, I know this. I work with law enforcement. They're, the 90% of these people are good men and women that got into the profession for all the right reasons, but there <laughs> are always bad apples. Mm -hmm. And, and when they, when they, when they come around, it's, it's to the detriment of other good men and women. And it's just disgusting. It's just yeah. disgusting, but there's nothing wrong with you stating, no, I, I'm sorry. We're, you cannot come into my car. You right. cannot search my car. What crime am I committing? Well, right. you have a broken taillight. No, that doesn't give you a right to search my car because I have a bright, broken taillight. Right. Well, yes, it does. No, it does not. But if you're going to, if you're hell bent on searching my car, I'm on the record right now stating that I object to this and you're violating my rights. Well, a crime is, know. a crime is committing harm. Exactly. A broken taillight is not. Who's, who's, hurt, who's hurt by that action? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's it's it, it breaks your heart to see stuff like this. But you guys, this is why we do this. Know your rights. Teach your children your rights. Like I told you, I told my daughter, I was like, if you're ever pulled over, 
you need to say the same thing. Can anything I say be used against me? Great. I, I choose to remain silent. You need to make your case against me, not the other way around. You need to prove that I violated a crime of some kind. So, yeah. anyway, um, that's not really the, the, the most sobering. <laughs> um, that's not the most sobering story I wanted to end on. But, you know, it, it's it, again, it's just it's just a quick reminder that we need we, we always need to be vigilant. We need to be standing up for our rights no matter where we are. No man or woman can trespass upon your rights without without good cause. And oftentimes they don't. And this is what it's going to take for us to, to right the ship, to steer the ship in the right direction. And honestly, if you are living in honor and mm -hmm. doing no harm, what, what crime do you ever commit? Mm -hmm. well, they're administrative uh, money-making schemes. Right. Really. They're schemes. It's not... Not real crimes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. So anyway, um, that's what I've got today. You guys, um, we, I'm sure we'll have another episode next, next Friday. I have no clue what we're going to talk about. I've got a couple ideas. I've got, a couple uh, ideas. well, Hey, we, we can chat about a few things. Um, okay. you know, it's, it's like I said before, I think I said this on the last show is like, I have no idea what we're going to talk about until like, you know, Monday or Tuesday rolls around. I was like, Oh, well, hey, we, we should talk about that. So mm -hmm. um, with that, you guys, I'm going to wish you all a, a, a happy and healthy and a blessed weekend. God bless you all for being here. Thank you so much. Erica, Justice, closing thoughts? Um, like, like Erica said, you know, keep your energy high, you know, stay, there's a lot of uh, demonic and dark and negative criminal energy around our world. Everyone sees it. Mm -hmm. It's not like it's hiding anymore, but they're being outed. And what they want to do is pull you down and make you negative. So stay with a loving heart. Um, you know, people that are committing these crimes, pray for them. That's what we're called to do. Not, not become like them and be angry and mm -hmm. shoot them back at them. So it's very yeah. difficult to do. We all fall into that trap, but just try and by to doing that justice. We help set them free too. Yes. When they, when they experience the love and the compassion that comes from us and we realize they realize when they're not in their costumes that they also fall under the rights of being free and not being, you know, able to mm -hmm. be accused of these things. It's kind of beautiful because they don't yeah. know that they just right. don't know. And yeah, it's and even falling into the trap on, on the keys, on the text, you know, on the, the, the boards, right. Don't spit back at somebody. Don't spit venom back at people online and Twitter and telegram and stuff. Just try to stay in love and, mm -hmm your path will be made loving for you. That's just my, those are my thoughts. Yeah. It's real easy to throw it at, throw out insults to somebody you can't see. Very. And it's easy to fall for it and go back. Yeah. So. It's really, it's real easy to get sucked in. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, on our telegram channel or on other telegram channels, I don't get sucked into the back and forth stuff. You know, if somebody starts throwing allegations, I'm like, you know what, just, I've got better things to do. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. We appreciate you guys being here. C to AZ. It's always good to see you. I'm glad you're here. Giving a shout out to you. Um, Rihanna, Diesel, Mary, Joe, everybody else that's here on the live stream. Thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate you. Um, this is why we do this. And until, uh, until next Friday, take care, you guys. Bye, all. <laughs>